Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Podcarts Life is Like a Box of Records podcast. My name is Helena Rafai. Occasionally, we bring in special guests to talk about the songs that have soundtracked their lives so far. For rights reasons, music might be shorter than the original song. This week's guest is Jess Partridge. Jess is founder of In Stereo Group, which includes much-loved publication London In Stereo, along with its siblings Berlin In Stereo and Bristol In Stereo. Jess has also established herself as an influential project manager. Her work with pioneering international initiative Key Change is notable, but like many other music industry impresarios, it's only one of many pages of her inspiring creative portfolio. Welcome Jess to Life is Like a Box of Records with Podcart. How are you today? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for having me. No, most welcome and it's really nice to have you doing this. Uh, we've talked about this for a bit now, so it's nice to actually have you, uh, you know, done a selection. Um, for <laughs> everyone that listens the to the podcast, we get our guests to pick seven songs that have kind of soundtracked their lives so far. Um, and it's really interesting kind of seeing the different playlists and, and the reasons. So before we kick off with that, uh, let the public know who you are and what you do. Um, okay, I'll try and summarize it nice and quickly. Um, I'm Jess, obviously, and I run a trio of magazines uh, under the Stereo Group, one in Berlin, one in London, and one in Bristol. Um, I've done a lot of other jobs on the side, including starting the Key Change Project at the PRS Foundation last year. Uh, no, sorry, 2017, um, which is a gender equality project for festivals more than anything, although it's now expanded to lots of different areas um, and is a talent development program as well. Magic. And, and you've, um, you now live in Glasgow, Yes, I do now live in Glasgow as of almost exactly six months. Wow. And just around the corner from me as well. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Unfortunately, we can't do this in person. No, we can't. Um, but uh, there will be plenty of opportunity to catch up once hopefully this is all over. Um, so I kind of want to get kicked off with your picks and um, tell us about your first one and, and why you picked this. Okay, so my first one is Roxette's June Afternoon kind of weirdly one of the less known tracks even though it's incredibly poppy some would say maybe too poppy I <laughs> um so this is kind of like the first track I remember my mum introducing me to and my parents didn't introduce me to loads of music like they liked music but they weren't music enthusiasts <laughs> But my mom, I remember really clearly, and I don't know why we, we would never listen to music in her bedroom, but I remember her putting it on her bedroom. And 
I just thought it was so good and so much fun. It's kind of soundtracked so many moments since then, including probably my favorite at Iceland Airwaves, where my closest friend Lauren, who works at End of the Road Festival, <laughs> heard it for the first time and almost died laughing at the lyrics because they're completely ridiculous. Like she was doubled up on a bed, like crying, not able to breathe with laughter. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, it's um, one of my main introductions to music and also <laughs> a consistent soundtrack. There's been some moments at The Great Escape as well where it's really kept us going. So what's your kind of first musical memory of when you were a child? I think probably buying my first CD, which was a Now CD. I don't, I don't think I had ever considered that I was... Like I hadn't considered music as something to get into because my parents weren't particularly into it. And I remember my dad saying, you can buy a CD, um, but only if it looks like this one, because he wanted me to buy the Now CD. Um, <laughs> and that's like the first time I really remember connecting with it. And were there any particular artists during that time uh, that you were obsessed with? I mean, this is when I'm like six or seven. So yeah, I think I remember the first song that really caught my attention was Gina G, just a little bit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and um, then the Spice Girls like I loved them absolutely when I was I, I got to see them when I was nine um, wow and I loved them like they were just amazing uh, and some terrible pop bands like 911 and stuff like that again I'm like younger than 10 here <laughs> <laughs> so through your uh, teenage years uh, I mean, when did you start really becoming obsessed with music? It was definitely like my early teens, so like 13, 14. When I turned 14, we would, uh, me and my friends, who were all super into music as well, we would go like down to the academy in Bristol, where I'm from, really early, like 4 p.m. early to, to go to see see bands but we wanted to meet them first and we'd get like pizza delivered to the steps and stuff like that and we'd just sit there for hours and then we kind of got into street teaming which was a thing back then where yeah you just ask for email addresses in return for buttons or stickers or whatever and so we would get there super early so we could do that anyone who came along we'd ask them for their email and give them a little thing and um that just propelled me into constantly going to shows because I couldn't have afforded to go to shows but that allowed me to go in for free um and were you part of a I asked this of a lot of the guests that are on the, the kind of podcast was there a particular kind of genre or group or style that you really were committed to <laughs> um I mean it was definitely indie um New Rave was a big thing when I was like 17. I wasn't particularly into it, but I do remember going to the Enemy New Rave tour. 
yeah, it was more like yeah, Indian punk rock, like brand new and um, all American rejects, like newfound glory. It's just so much trash, but trash, it was so much fun and you could really get passionate about and jump around to and have like so much fun with. Yeah. Uh, so your your next pick is Mates of State and <laughs> tell me about this one. So I have some great stories about Mates of State. Um I, I again I remember vividly the first time I heard them and I heard them through a phone and this is like I was 18 so it's like 12 years ago and the phone was terrible my friend was like this I, I've heard this weird song and I think you'd really like it listen to it and this it wasn't actually the song that I've picked for this this one's called goods I just loved it like even through that speaker I just knew I loved it and they quickly became my favorite band They're still my favorite band. They just make such unusual music. They're a pairing. They're actually a married couple. And they, they've they kind of made their band bigger now. But for a long time, it was him on the drums and her on um, kind of an old keyboard that had loads of interesting sounds. Like She gets a lot of questions about her keyboard. <laughs> and they came to the UK when I was 17. So yeah, I must have heard it when I was like 17. Um, they came to the UK when I was 17. They were supporting We Are Scientists on tour. And uh, the show was sold out when they were announced. And I was like, I have to go to the show. Like, I absolutely have to go to the show. So I managed to get a ticket. And obviously, it was like that time of my life. So I was there at 4 p.m. waiting for them. <laughs> and I got them to sign my T-shirt. And they were so shocked. They were like, why do you know who we are? And it, it, they were just so welcoming and lovely. And then... I turned 18 and a week after my 18th birthday, I got uh, a Mates of State tattoo. So yeah, obviously I still have it it's across my foot. It was my biggest tattoo. It says, wonder if I could tie the ocean to your knees, which is from their song, An Experiment. <laughs> and um, I love them, listen to them forever. And then when I, <laughs> when I was 25, I was working at um, Fierce Panda Records. I worked there for three years being the label manager. And um, they were looking for a record deal. And not only were they looking for a record deal, but I was like, guys, I'm constantly frustrated by the fact that your last three albums aren't available on Spotify over here. They've fallen out of a deal and now we just can't listen to them in the UK and it's really frustrating. Um, I'm only willing to sign you to Fierce Panda for your new EP if you would let us have the last three records as well. And they were like... Yeah, sure. It doesn't make any difference to us. Like, absolutely, you can have them. And they hadn't been back in the UK since then, uh, since that show when I was 17. Um, and in fact, I had sent them quite a mean email about how much they said that they hated the UK. Well, I don't blame them, to be fair. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> they, I blame them. I think they had like a bit of a rotten time on that tour yeah. as the support act with a baby in tow like a one-year-old so it must have been a slog and I don't think they were treated particularly well but they wrote like a post about how much they hated it and how much of a miserable time they had and 
it just made me so sad. I really wanted them to come back. And so I wrote them an email like, I just don't want you to count out the UK. Like, please come back. Well, I think one of their points was like, why would you live here if you'd ever seen the sun? Yeah, anyway, I signed them to the label and made them come over. And they did, so they did their first tour in like more than 10 years, uh, almost 10 years in the UK. And they came and stayed at my house. I've since been to their house in Connecticut and we're friends. It's amazing. It's completely like completely weird thing in my life that I would never have expected to happen. Yeah. But it did. And um, yeah, they're really lovely. That was quite a, it's like a, a beautiful boomerang moment of, you know, uh, <laughs> going back to, to your childhood. How were your teenage years overall? I mean, did you ever think that, I mean, first of all, did you ever think that you'd end up working in music or did, was, did you have a kind of different career path set out for yourself? I really fell in love with live music, especially. And I think working as um, a street teamer kind of allowed me to see that there were other opportunities to work within it. And I started promoting shows once I turned 17. So I kind of definitely had it in mind. But originally when I was like 14, 15, 16, and even until I was 17, because I ran my first half marathon when I was 17, I was like very convinced I was going to be a long distance runner. Wow. Yeah, I know. Really different career path, but I was a really good long distance runner. Came third in the Bath half marathon at one point. And it was just like something I really wanted to do but um music one for a variety of reasons yeah. <laughs> but I knew there since I made that decision or since I kind of went down that road it, that that was it like I knew that that was it I've never considered working in any other industry since you did uh was it commercial music at university yes it was. and uh what what was that like? I mean, what was it like in your class? Was it quite uh was there quite a lot of women doing it or was it just something that you were just <laughs> like, what the fuck is this? There were very few women in my class. And also like a huge dropout rate. I think a lot of people thought it would be fun. Yeah. Um, but it was work. It was a degree. It wasn't like <laughs> something you could just make up. It wasn't just sitting around writing songs or anything like that. Yeah, it was very very male and probably overall not wildly useful <laughs> but it was good to be able to move to London and do something like that and also I meet people in the industry all the time who did that degree like all the time yeah so moving on to your next pick which is Caribou and I think one of the greatest electronic tracks we've ever written um agreed why why this Caribou for a number of reasons I was kind of debating were to go with this one it could have easily been James Holden as well um but Caribou has been on the cover of my magazine twice <laughs> which um he's one of the very few people to have done that um and specifically this track because again it was just something I fell in love with really quickly Okay, do it. Okay, do it. Okay, do it. 
when it first came out, um, a friend of mine, well, I think Lauren was working on it at the time, even before she worked at End of the Road. And so I very clearly remember going to one of his shows and I've forgotten what venue it was. It was one of the kind of archway venues in London underneath the train tracks. And just, it kind of was my introduction, I guess, into raving and rave culture. And I know he's not, he's not, particularly ravey but his set was just so dancey and everyone was having such a good time um and it kind of was my introduction into that world I guess in in a way um and I loved it and I love him still he's like one of the nicest guys ever (laughs) um I love that he constantly drops his like old records off at uh this one Oxfam shop in Dalston and he always posts about it so people like descend on that one Oxfam shop which makes me laugh but yeah this this particular song is just so heartwarming and lovely and always so much fun to dance to and see you've obviously mentioned your magazine there but I I want to kind of come back to that um before that I mean you've you've had to pretty for anyone looking at your LinkedIn they're like holy crap uh I mean you've, you've <laughs> talked about Face Panda but after Face Panda, you were with Vice, who uh, are a bit marmite for a lot of people, um, <laughs> and they, but they've they've done some fascinating stuff within media. Um, and so, how did that happen? Um, well, I'll give you a fairly brutally honest version of this story. I was running Fierce Panda and I was in charge of everything, like the payroll, signing, everything. And it was so much. (laughs) And I was getting really stressed about the amount of money we had. And I was, I managed to get us a couple of Arts Council grants, um, which were great. Really, really helpful to the company. Um, Like they probably wouldn't have survived without them. And it just stressed me out so much. I just knew I couldn't stay in that situation. And I had a good friend who worked at Vice on the live side of things, which is what I worked on. It's kind of a little known fact that they own a couple of venues in London. And I just hit up this friend and I said, do you have any work for me? And within, I think, 48 hours, I had a new job. And I (laughs) just went to Simon, who I absolutely like, love and still completely adore. He's a really brilliant human. Uh, I just had to say to him, you know, I... I can't stay here. I need to I need to go somewhere else. And I think your company needs me to go somewhere else. Um so I I left and um we yeah, we've stayed good friends and Vice was really great. It was a big learning curve, like launching venues, like the Sea by Arms and Cameo and um that was just something I'd never done before. Was, and as my magazine is a listings guide and like based in live music it was very complimentary towards that and it allowed me to understand a bit better what the advertisers and people who kind of work with my magazine what they need and like what they go through on a regular basis mm-hmm. um which was I think really useful insight it was an interesting time but it was a full-time job on top of the magazine and as the magazine grew it became less <laughs> less possible to have both yeah I, I I've kind of skip to step but I I just wanted to ask this because there'll be people that are are listening to the podcast and they will be like okay I'm doing commercial music um I mean how did you go from doing your degree to getting a job was there hard going or were you did you manage to go straight into it it was really hard going yeah 
Um, and I remember Tushar, who worked in the um, the studios at the university, t- telling me he was like, you know, expect at least six months. And I was like, no way. It will not be six months till I get a job. Like, I've been interning for three years in London now. You know, I've had really, had incredible experiences through, I was um, interning at this label called Something in Construction, and we were managing a band called Memory Tapes, and we had a bunch of other bands as well. And through working there, I got to know loads of different people, including Simon from um, Fierce Panda. I just, I just thought it would be easier. I just really thought I'd be able to get a job and it took so much hustle and I was working behind the bar at a venue and I was interning at the Great Escape at the same time. I was working on the door of the Bull and Gate for, for Club Fandango. Anything I could to get some cash. I remember my mum being like, maybe it's time to consider getting a just a regular job. <laughs> I was like, no, I, like that hasn't even crossed my mind. I decided that the way to do it was to do my own thing, which was a magazine. Yeah. I decided that, that was the only way that I was going to get any, like the attention I needed and people to have the faith in me that they needed. And so I started doing it and I kind of got it to a point where it was absolutely happening. And the second I got it to that point, Fierce Panda were like, hey, do you want a job? <laughs> I was like, yeah, I would love a job. But also now I have this other huge project and I can't really back out of it now. So I ended up doing both. You're the first person to pick Cardi B on the podcast, which, uh, yeah, I know, after all this time. And uh, it's certain things like this that stand out for me that people have never picked uh, these artists. So, um, and it's it's got Chance the Rapper as well, which is a bonus. Why Best Life? Um, Best Life, because it was my least favourite and became my absolute favourite from this album, just through, I don't know, repeat exposure, I think. I love it. I think that this album is one of the like all-time great rap albums and I will put myself behind it every time. I love it. I mean, it's definitely more the whole album. This is all related to, again, it's kind of work. So for six and a half years of running London Stereo, we did the distribution by ourselves, myself and my deputy editor, Dave. We hired a car and we drove around London for two days, pretty much for 10, 11 hours a day. (laughs) They were hardcore days, lifting and carrying and snacking, a lot of snacking. Uh, and you have to have your records that get you through those 11 hours this album oh my god like I know every I know so many lyrics <laughs> I know so many of the bars because we listen to it again and again and again and it, it always lifts our spirits and it always like absolutely was the thing that saved us it was so good I love it. London in stereo seems to be an integral part of of your life. But um, (laughs) one of the things that has stood out as well that introduced you and I was Key Change um, and and PRS. So uh, for those that don't know what it is, please explain. Sure. So Key Change um, is funded by the European Union, which, you know, is a shame. Uh, It was started in 2017 by the PRS Foundations and uh, PRS Foundation and a bunch of partners 
And it started out as a talent development program for women across Europe to join. And my role was to take them to different festivals and put on a talent development program at each festival for them. But kind of as we talked about it and developed the program, the festivals that were all involved decided that they wanted to commit to gender equality in a kind of more noticeable and real way. And so they decided that they wanted to commit to a 50-50 gender balance pledge by the year uh, 2022. We announced this when we kind of launched the project fully and publicly with the participants who were going to be on the talent development program. And when we did, we found so many festivals were like, hey, we want to commit to this. Can we commit to this? Can we be part of this? And so it quickly became an entirely different thing where we signed up as many festivals as possible to this pledge. And now it's also open to organizations and well, anyone who works within music. So, um, for example, London Stereo signed up for having a 50-50 gender balance of their writers. Mm -hmm. And just to be clear, the 50-50 gender balance is men on one side and women and all gender minorities on the other side. So it is an inclusive pledge, even though it's difficult uh, to come up with something that works across the world and has the right kind of impact. We are uh, kind of getting into some really kind of recent picks now um, Are you for your last three. Um, Key Dash, this is like a juggernaut um so why did you pick this i think Kidash is actually possibly older than cardi this track it's just one of those tracks that caught me like i really it's an amazing track like you say it's a juggernaut like it gets you and it holds you um and this whole ep in fact really did that Pop shit like they wanted to. But when I really wanted some dick and they cool. I don't really mind having sex by the pool. Better put your hands down, let me see what you could do. Matter of fact, let's fuck in your legs. Make a bit, show your friends in a text. Make it hot, send the shit to your ex. You know my shit is the best. And this is kind of representative of the new music and the time I spend finding that more than anything. It sounds like a kind of trivial thing, maybe like a trivial link, but a wild amount of my time <laughs> is spent doing this. I I spend every weekend going through every single track that I'm sent and I listen to them and I make a playlist each week of all the things I'm really into. And do you know what? There's, I find loads of great stuff. Like, obviously, so much I fall in love with, but there's just a, every once in a while there's something that is completely unforgettable. And this was one of those tracks. Like, this was completely, uh, just it completely stayed with me. Um, and they're amazing, like absolutely incredible. I, they haven't done enough, like loads since, and I can't wait for them to do more. But uh, yeah, London in Stereo, which is uh, it's a force to be reckoned with, and um, obviously I'd, a lot of us knew about it before. Well, before I'd met you, I'd, I knew about it, and so on. Um, what's been one of the best things um, to to happen from London in Stereo, i.e. whether it be a cover star or whether it just be something that, you know, an event or, or something? What, what's been a complete highlight for you? There's There's been so many and I feel like so much of the rest, like Key Change was such a huge part of my life and I don't think that that would have happened if I hadn't been able to show them what I had already done with my own company. Mm-hmm. 
but I think probably the thing that's closer to what you're looking for <laughs> is I think it was uh, three years ago uh, at field day we had the second biggest stage and just arriving at Brockwell Park I believe it was and seeing our logo and everything like that so huge next to this ridiculous stage with this incredible lineup was unreal like that was such a highlight that was such a big moment and all of our all of our collaborations we've done some really interesting ones like with the um mayor of london we did a great series of articles for sounds like london like loads of those things are really huge for me and especially the festivals like the great escape as i said i used to intern there and to return two years later and get stage um, was quite something. But yeah, that, that field day one meant a lot. We kind of have to talk about now. So it's been locked down for five weeks and things have dramatically changed for you. How has it impacted you? It's been quite extreme from the minute. I mean, from before we were even properly locked down, we kind of knew that we weren't going to be able to print the issue, which we had ready we had done the cover shoot for it we had the album reviews coming in but without printing um we don't have income like our online side doesn't make money in that way because mostly it's never needed to um I've used it to prop up what we do and occasionally bring in money um in different ways but obviously our advertisers don't really have anything to promote either We've had to completely change what we do. The focus is entirely online. Uh, I've had every every incredibly useful person say to me, well, have you, have you thought about doing an online magazine? Which, yes, obviously I have thought about, but it isn't something we want to do. I cracked it one this week and they have an incredible team and did an amazing job of it. But that's just not something that's achievable for us right now. And so we have an amazing online editor, Kez, and an amazing picture editor, Anita, who are working on a variety of different things, um, and we're able to keep them going, which is really great. But for myself, personally, um, and for the other directors of the company, just due to a stupid fluke in the way that we pay ourselves, we're not going to receive any government help. So we launched a fundraiser pretty quickly because we knew that both ourselves and our um, our freelancers were going to be in need of some support. So we've been working on that and also trying to look for funding and work out other ways to do things, talking to different companies about collaborations that might help, um, well, be mutually beneficial, mm-hmm. um, which is great and it's, it is quite exciting to work on things that are a bit different and stuff that we didn't have time for necessarily before because a monthly deadline is fast like it comes around so quick especially with the distribution of it and everything like that so yeah it's nice to have that time to work on that stuff but it's a very <laughs> pressing and stressful time personally yeah how far ahead are you looking? Are you looking at different ways of income or what are your plans? Yeah, I'm working on a number of different things. I was working on an event as well up here, Wide Days, which is now postponed. So I'm doing a bit of work with them as well, working on how they can communicate with their audience effectively outside of having the conference going. Yeah, just the the hustle is real. Um, yeah, I remember that from those days I was talking about working behind the bar at the Buffalo Bar and uh, 
you know, earning little bits of money from working the door. And I know I'm not the only one in the same boat. That That's kind of comforting in a way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that there's some exciting things coming. So watch your space. Back to the music. And uh, Teresa, I think, is that, am I pronouncing it correctly? I... I'm the worst person to ask that to. <laughs> I know. I'm I'm terrible. It's a it's a running joke on our podcast. Okay, let's just go with uh, Teresa and uh again, this is one of those kind of releases that um I think it kind of floored quite a few people and it really stood out. Yeah. Especially given um the kind of field that it's part of and it was very much saturated with a lot of men. Sure. Why this? Um this song means a lot to me for a whole range of re- reasons. Um, again, it was something I just loved immediately. And I really loved her releases before this as well. Um, I'm Not Dancing is such a huge tune. Uh, but this was the moment where I was like, it, it's just such a weird amalgamation of things. Like a love song, dancey and glitchy and strange, but still at its heart, like, yeah, a love song. A, a bit like Caribou in that way, I guess. Um, and I saw it live for the first time at End of the Road Festival two years ago, which, again, it keeps coming up because my literal closest friend in the whole world, Lauren, runs it. And I arrived at the festival. <laughs> I arrived late. I knew she was about to be on. We literally dumped. We didn't even put up our tents. We poured ourselves a drink and we went straight to the big top. Like immediately (laughs) and as I walked in she was playing this all I know I got to be with you no reason not to be next to you you next to me holding you you're holding me time again I want to see the way you look at me, I could be away from here with no one, just you. All I want is you. And I was so gutted that I missed the start of it, but I'm so happy now because I've seen her since and she uh, either didn't play it or I completely missed it. We are on your last pick already, which is crazy. Uh self-esteem and I was saying this to someone else it's like it's it I don't know how hard you found it to to pick just seven songs but a lot of people find it near impossible so uh, why this and and why did it make it into your top seven again I love this album um it is just incredible and we definitely played it on distro a couple of times as well um just before we stopped doing it ourselves this album just last year got me through like a really difficult period I was really struggling and there's so much power and so much like I do not care about anything that anyone else says on this album and it just comes across and everything and it this song in particular just had the right attitude hoping that you leave if you're feeling lost if you're feeling scared remember it's you who put yourself here sing along it's okay you'll be fine just step right left baby in time just step right left baby in time just step right left baby in time just step right left baby 
really resonated with me at the time. Uh, and it's still, mm-hmm. it's still so good. And I cannot recommend putting this album on really loud and getting all your frustrations out. Like, I can't recommend that enough. It's such a perfect album for that. Before we go, um, I just want to find out if, I mean, for me, new music's been a, a kind of real um, lifeline during this time and, and still listening and discovering excellent artists have there been has there been anyone that's kind of really stood out for you over the last few weeks um there's so there's two really great eps which i am obsessed with <laughs> um so uh, carrie foe oh, i'm i'm see i'm so bad at pronunciations um but she's released her new rec- uh her new ep in this time and it's incredible and uh, do you know what? There's so much of it. Juan Ditta also has released a couple of new tracks and also featured on a track with Salt Cathedral, which is great. And then Abby Jasmine as well. She, again, is just a great lyricist and a lot of fun to listen to. Just incredibly talented people. Wonderful. So um, I just want to thank you for speaking to me because I know it's I know how tough it's been for you. Um, it's... <laughs> really uh it's really kind of you to to take the time to talk so um I wish you all the best I think you're fucking inspiration and um you are a legend so thank you thank you for having me it's been really fun um and like I don't get a chance to talk about the weird things that have happened in my career like signing my favorite band and going to their house that often (laughs) so (laughs) it's nice to be able to tell those stories Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.